Our reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 12. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one, just as he determines. The body is a unit. Through it is made up, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is God's word. Let's, um, let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for the privilege of the scripture here this morning and how we need your word. We need you to speak to us. We are dry and we need life breathed into us. Please, Heavenly Father, speak to us, we pray. 
through your word. Amen. I'd like to um, tell you about Martin and Grace. Martin and Grace were um, a perfect match. She was the girl he always wanted. She was beautiful and caring. She was always there. And they were basically inseparable. And Martin thought to himself, she's the one. But three years have gone, and the spark has kind of gone as well. Grace seems more flawed, less exciting, not quite as attractive as she used to be. And Martin's getting annoyed that she wants to spend so much time with him. He doesn't want to see her so much. The, the phone calls to Grace have stopped, and she's feeling confused. She's thinking, is he not really interested in me? So one night, Grace says to Martin, look, we need to sit down and have a talk about this. So she, so she gets Martin, sits down, and she says, look, we need to define our relationship. What's going on here? Martin blows up. We're together. Isn't that enough for you? I'm not ready for any commitment. Now, I wonder, have you ever been in a relationship like this, a relationship that has kind of commitment issues? Well, today, there are millions of Martins walking around with their commitment issues. But I need to let you know that Grace isn't a girl. Grace is the church. See, are you a Martin involved with the church, going out on dates with the church, but you've got commitment issues. It's worth asking ourselves this morning as we gather here, what is church for? Why are we here this morning? Why are we here? Do we, do we come for what we can get? Are we careful not to get too involved, not invest ourselves too much? Are we quick to find fault but, but short on allegiance? See, much of our difficulty with church comes from our tendency to think as individuals first. That is the culture which we live in. It is very much the culture of central London, isn't it? The culture of a big urban centre. It's what we're educated into. It's how we think. We're naturally individualistic. We value independence and choice and personal freedom and being highly mobile and being consumers. It's kind of just the, the air that we breathe in our society. And inevitably, we're shaped by that culture, aren't we, with its priorities and its values. And it's, it's not that all those values are wrong, by the way, but, but they become distorted in our minds, and, um, and we become unbalanced, and we tend to bring these ideas and these attitudes with us into church. But this morning, God wants something better for us. He wants something better for us. He wants us to know the wonder of being committed to his people. Now, this battle with individualism, it's not actually new. It goes back thousands of years, and we read of it here in Corinthians. We read of a church that has these kinds of problems. You, 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 you will know the church in Corinth if you've read your Bible. It's the bad boy of the New Testament. It's the black sheep church. And they've got many problems with pride and conflict and um, people being super spiritual. In fact, they have lots of resources and spiritual gifts, but these gifts are being used arrogantly and selfishly. They're looking down on each other. They're competitive. They're loveless. And there's some flagrant bad behavior going on in the congregation. And so here we've got a, a divided and a quarreling people. And they're, they're good at loving spiritual gifts and spiritual things, but they're just not very good at loving each other. We get a picture of believers who are using the church rather than serving the church. These are people with commitment issues. 
So here in chapter 12 of Corinthians, Paul is addressing some of these issues, some of these, these ways of thinking. And he's, he's saying, look, you, you're divided into factions, but actually it is the same spirit who is working amongst you, the Holy Spirit. So in verse 3 in our reading, we see that the Holy Spirit brings one confession. He, he leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from verse 4, he, Paul is teaching them that all this diver, these diversity of gifts and resources that you have are all being they've all been given to you by the one Spirit, the same Spirit. So verses 8 to 9, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. In other words, there is one Spirit. There are different gifts, but there is one Spirit. And this, verse 7, is all for the common good. There's one goal, and the goal is not your ego, Corinthians. It's not your own purposes, Corinthians. Rather, it's the good of the whole congregation. That's what you are to use your gifts and your resources for. So, in this passage that we're looking at in chapter 12, Paul is trying to teach the congregation about the local church and what the local church is there for and how to think rightly about the church, how to use their gifts for the good of the church. And we're going to look at three things from these uh, from these verses. You can see the, the outline uh, on, on your service sheet. We see how the church is a united body, an interdependent body, and a diverse body. So let's, um, let's dive in then. Firstly, the church is a united body. Now, how do you get a unified local church? Do you kind of just kind of get hold of all the kind of nice people and gather them in one room, all the really nice people like you guys? Do you, do you, do you kind of avoid rocking the boat? You know, don't, don't tread on anyone's toes. Just don't go there. Do you have heavy shepherds who come in and compel submission? Do you um, have a strict membership policy? You know, how do you get a unified church? Well, the Apostle Paul here, he simply teaches them about their union with Christ. That is how you get a unified church. You see, here he, he is raising their vision and he's showing them that, that their unity is not something actually that they create. Rather, it is something that is given to them in Christ. Unity is not something something that they make so much, but it is something that they discover in Christ. The fact is, we don't create the church's unity, we simply get to live it out. And, and, and we're being taught here that we are not first and foremost individuals. It's not even first and foremost our individual faith that matters, though of course that is very important. But the main thing about the church is that it is Christ's body. The church is united because it's united to Christ. The unity of the church is built upon its unity with Jesus. Now that's basically the framing, the framing idea for this whole passage. So in verses 12 to 13, what Paul's doing is that he's trying to put their experience of the Spirit and their gifts in, the, in this context of being in Christ. In, in other words, he's saying to them, everything you do together and with each other is built on who you are in Christ. So verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. How easily our view of church gets shrunk. We, my, my own petty, small, individualistic goals start to dominate. But here Paul is raising our eyes to see something big and massive, to give us a Christ-centered vision of what church is. 
verse 27, he repeats this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Do you know, the amazing thing about you, Christ Church Mayfair, is that you have been put into Christ. You've been brought into relationship with Jesus together. You are united to him, and therefore you are united to each other. In verse 13, Paul outlines the kind of things that might divide people at the time, their ethnic differences, their social differences. But his point is, these things don't matter. Who you were before, they don't really matter anymore. They are irrelevant, because what matters is that you belong to Christ. And we all share in the same spirit. There are not different spirits working amongst us. We are in Christ. So Christ Church Mayfair, Jesus Christ lives in you. And his, his spirit is powerfully present. You are his body. You belong to him. And when you get to know this reality, it has an incredibly powerful unifying effect upon the church. And the implication is clear. You see, if we are Christ's body, then it means that how we treat each other is really how we treat Jesus Christ. Imagine today, imagine today after the service, you're having your cup of coffee and your, and your bit of cake. And a rude young man comes up to you and says, you're fat and ugly. How would you react? Would you say, well, that's okay. He's just talking about my body. He's just, he's not me. He's just talking about my fat and ugly body. Of course you wouldn't because your body is part of you. It is very personal. Now, Christ does not react any differently. He loves his body. He cares for his body. He feeds his body. He doesn't want anyone trashing or attacking his body. How you treat Christ Church Mayfair is actually how you treat Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that, how he, that the church is God's temple. He uses a different picture. The, God is, the, the, the church is God's temple. And therefore, if you destroy the church, you destroy God's temple. How we treat the local church is how we treat Jesus Christ. Now, I know the person sat next to you may not look very impressive. But that person is Jesus coming to you this morning. How we treat each other is how we treat Jesus. Now, of course, we naturally want to divide our relationship with the Lord off from our relationship with each other. But Scripture won't let us do it. It says those two relationships are very involved in one another. Scripturally speaking, we fulfill the Lord by loving one another. In other words, we, we love God by loving each other. Our horizontal relationships with each other reflect and impact our vertical relationship with God. And and that means, therefore, that individualistic mindsets, petty turf wars, self-promotion, super-spiritual pride, overbearing leadership, stubbornly holding on to what I want, these things are not just wrong, they're not just sinful, but they are anti-Jesus Christ. Because when I engage in those things, it's like I'm trying to take the body of Christ away from Christ and use it for my own purposes. Surely we don't want lives of pettiness do we? We want something bigger, don't we? We want a big vision. We want bigger goals. We want something bigger than our own personal agendas, don't we? Let's take hold of what we're told here. Let's remember that we are united to Christ, and therefore we are united to one another. Let's promote the unity of the church in Christ. That's the first thing. second thing, an interdependent body. We see an interdependent body here. So verse 14, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In other words, there's not just one gift that is needed. It may well have been that the Corinthians thought that actually what you really need is the gift of speaking in tongues. And if you have that, you've kind of got like a, a super spiritual highway to God. 
But, but Paul's saying, look, there's not just one type of ministry. There's not just one way of serving, but there are many. They are all necessary. Now, I'm 40 years old, but I confess to still really enjoying superhero movies. I love superhero movies. Thor, Captain America, Avengers Assemble, particularly Batman. I love all that stuff. Now, the thing about superheroes is that they are great for movies, but they're a bad idea for real life. It's okay to watch a film about a superhero, but it's a bad idea to try to be a superhero. But we might have that danger of trying to create the kind of ideal Christian superhero. The, this ideal that you know, the Christian who can do it all by themselves, who has all knowledge, all power, all gifting, and we can, we can play into this, can't we? We, we create the idea of the great leader and the super pastor. Uh, the biographies of great Christians in the past is, is very inspiring to, to read those books. And yet, one of the problems can be that they quickly elevate people. They, they exalt people and they turn them into angels and forget their sin and their need of a saviour. We do that with leaders today, don't we? We, we want to turn people into superheroes. We become complicit in that. And of course, when we do that, when we turn people into superheroes, the doctrine of sin goes out the window, and actually so does the doctrine of the church. Because the doctrine of the church teaches us that we need each other. So a superhero doesn't need you, but the church does. The superhero is fine without you, but the church isn't. The fact is, we can't actually do without each other. And the church is not a collection of superhero saints. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's resources and skills and insights and wisdom. There's one body, but this body's got different parts. It's got hands and eyes and ears. Look with me at verse 15. Now, the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now the picture you get here is of everyone depending upon everyone else. See, some of the people in the congregation were saying, look, you know, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I've got gifts, I don't really need you. But Paul is saying, you've got it all wrong. You are who you are only in relation to other people. We're all dependent on one another. The church needs your gifts of wisdom and preaching and cooking and administration and hospitality and pastoring and evangelism and faith. All these gifts. It is not about one superman at the front. It is not about a collection of super individuals. But it is about many parts and many gifts. And they are actually all necessary for balance and maturity. Imagine you were on your way to church this morning and you're walking along the street in Mayfair and... um, you see an ear lying on the pavement. Pretty ghastly. But you think, well, I don't want to make a fuss. Uh, maybe someone's just lost it or, you know, it's fallen out of someone's pocket. I don't want to create a fuss. You see, you move on. But then you see an arm and then a leg. And quickly you realize there's a problem here. Something strange is going on. Now, why is that strange? Because an ear should really be attached to a head. A head should preferably be attached to a body. But... Often we think about the Christian life in, that, in those kinds of terms of detachment, of ears by themselves. We can think of the Christian, living the Christian life as essentially individual. It's me sat at home with my Bible, having my quiet time, playing my guitar, listening to my worship th- CDs and reading big, heavy times of theology. 
That is probably my natural preference. But Paul would say to me, Andy, you're just an ear on the ground by yourself. Now, of course, I am not in any way being negative about the importance of us, our own personal spiritual lives. It's very, very important. But we need more than ears and noses, don't we? We need far more than that. Our relationship with the Lord is not simply individual and private, but it is corporate. It is together. We relate to the Lord as, as a body. We are, not, we, we are a we, not an I. If you find a nose on a face and ears on a head, you won't think there's anything strange about that because that's where they belong. And that is where you and I belong, in the body. Our gifts, our knowledge, our wisdom, our character are all meant to be used together. That is what the Corinthians are not doing or not seeing. This is what we need. We only make sense together. Now, verse 18, look at verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, you may have come to Christchurch Mayfair for all kinds of reasons. You may have thought the coffee was fantastic. Or you, you had friends here. It could be all kinds of different reasons why you came here. But actually, on a deepest level, you haven't chosen to come here. The Lord has put you here. The Lord has put you here. And he's set it all up. And he's put, and he's put the parts of the body together. And you belong together. And you don't have what you need individually. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how, much, how well you know the Bible or how good your prayer life is. You need other people. And you cannot grow into spiritual maturity without your brothers and sisters. And, and the local church cannot grow, to, cannot grow unless it grows together. Each one of us is to understand our function only in relation to the local church, to the body. We need one another's gifts. We need one another's help, don't we? We can't do it on our own. We're interdependent. Thirdly, we are a diverse body, a diverse body. Now, because the basis of the church is not in us, but in Jesus Christ, it must be diverse. See, the church is rooted and based upon us. If it's built on us, then really it must look like us. It must follow my preferences, my values, my attitude. If, if the church is built on us, then really it would be um, about being a Jew, or being Greek, or being a slave, or being free, verse 13. But if it's about being in Christ, then it actually reflects him. And, and Christ is Lord of all. Christ is the Lord of the universe. And therefore, the more diversity there is, the more he is glorified, the more he is honoured as the Lord over everyone. If we appeal just to a certain kind of person, or just to a certain kind of group, we can't help but reduce Christ. Diversity is a necessary mark of God's church. Now, Paul has already mentioned the diversity of gifts in verses 7 to 10, where he's emphasizing the same spirit is at work. But now he comes at it from a different angle, from the picture of the body of Christ. And here he talks about the diversity of the people. Now, it seems that there was some evidence of kind of social superiorities in the church, some kind of hierarchy, social pride. And so in verse 21, he applies the body metaphor to this. And he talks about the differences between the higher groups and the lower groups. And the higher groups are kind of saying to the lower groups, I don't really need you. You've got the eye to the hand, the head to the feet, saying, I don't really need you. The high saying to the low. And in verses 22 to 24, he talks about the distinction between the honourable and the dishonourable, between the strong and the weak, between the presentable and the unpresentable. And the honourable, the strong, the presentable are wanting to exclude or diminish 
the dishonourable, the weak, the unpresentable. You know, they're all a bit embarrassing. You know, they're a bit noisy, they're a bit rough, a bit impolite. They wear tracksuits to church. They come late. And they've got so many problems, haven't they? It's just they're just black hole. And Paul is saying, no, no, these social distinctions, they have no validity in Christ. There is no slave or free, verse 13. And verse 24, God has combined these members of the body. In other words, it is God's plan to create a diverse body. It is his plan to create local churches of diverse people. Now, of course, it doesn't mean the local church is to be endlessly diverse, as if you need someone who's gone to Eton and a Bangladeshi old lady and a Chinese baby all in the same church. It doesn't mean that. And, and every context is limited. And there are different ways in which you might uh, uh, inspire the, the diversity of the church. So, for example, Christ Church Mayfair said, right, well, we're going we're to fund this ministry down on the world's end of state. There are different ways of doing this. But the point is we need to try to aspire towards an appropriate diversity in our particular context. The point is diversity. And diversity is not an uncomfortable reality which we have to put up with. But it is God's purpose. It is God's intention for his church. This is what he wants. Verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. In other words, God lifts up those who we might naturally not want to to spend much time with. The diversity of the church is natural because it is a consequence of being in Christ. Everything else disappears. The church must become a diverse place. Now, I'd just like us to think this through just in one area, one particular area. How do we as a church or as communities welcome and treat those with disabilities? And I'm thinking here people who are blind, people who have impaired hearing, people with learning difficulties, mobility difficulties, those struggling with, with mental illness. Those, uh, those who, who have aut- autism. How do, we, how do we help people? How do we include people? It is a t- there is a terrible danger that we might actually disable the disabled in our church communities. We might rob them of the fullness of life that Christ brings. Or even worse, just put up with them. But the reality is that the inclusion of these diverse groups is our glory. The church becomes a better place the more people we include. And the reality is that 95% of people at some point are going to have to deal with a disability because we're all going to get old, aren't we? We're all going to lose our hearing or have mobility problems. And it may be today that you already know the pain of mental ill health and the struggles that you face with that on a daily level. How do we as churches treat the weak? How do we deal with those who are struggling with ageing? How do we support those who can't contribute in the way of the strong? We must never disable the disabled. Verse 26, do we suffer with them? Do we struggle with them? The reality is this, that Christ is not glorified by having an elite uh, collection of extraordinary superhero saints, but he's glorified at having a diverse community of interdependent, saved sinners who use their gifts for the common good. That's what he's building his church into. So here we have a united, an interdependent, and a, and a diverse body. We don't want to be Martins who can't commit, do we? We want something bigger for our lives, and Christ has called us to something bigger than our own personal agendas. He's called us to something more wonderful than ourselves, his body. So let's use our resources and gifts and talents for his body. Let's love his body. Let's cherish it. Let's seek its progress. Now, of course, 
in life, there will be many things that, that can discourage us about the, the uh, local church. I, we will become fed up or disappointed or disillusioned. I don't want to be unrealistic about that. But the striking thing, as you read through Corinthians, is that Paul doesn't disown them. Remember, the Corinthians are the bad boy of the New Testament church. They're the black sheep. But he doesn't treat them as beyond the power. He doesn't say, the stuff you, I'm going off with the Philippians, because they're loads better than you guys. Rather, he, he has a high view of Christ, and therefore he has a high view of the church. And he sees the Lord at work amongst them. He still views them in Christ. He knows that Christ loves his body, and he's committed to his body, and he's getting his body to where he needs to get it. So in those days when you feel disillusioned, or you feel disappointed, look at the church in Christ, and then you won't be ultimately disappointed. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing gift the church is to us. We praise you, Father, that you haven't simply forgiven our sins, but you've united us to Christ, and you have united us to each other. What an amazing thing, Father, that you have loved us so much and wanted to draw us into such close fellowship with yourself that you've brought us into your Son. Oh, Father, we pray that as we go away from this passage, that the truths here, the realities here, would just strike us afresh. And we pray for our churches, pray for Christ Church Mayfair, pray for St. John's, that you would help us to become this kind of church, unified, interdependent, and diverse. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.